Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, March 11th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The war in Ukraine means central bankers have to tread carefully as they confront soaring inflation. But first, the majority of refugees fleeing Ukraine are going to Poland. A reporter says the line of people crossing the border is unforgettable. But it's enormous. I mean, it's kilometers long. You have large numbers of Ukrainians gathering on the Polish side waiting to pick up their relatives. He'll tell us how Poles are responding to the influx. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Russia and Ukrainian foreign ministers met in Turkey yesterday for the most high-level talks since Russia invaded Ukraine two weeks ago. Russia rejected Ukraine's proposal for a ceasefire and humanitarian aid for the devastated port city of Mariupol. Fighting has continued in other parts of the country. Russia's attacks have shut down more than half of Ukraine's economy, and they've destroyed more than $100 billion in infrastructure assets. That's according to an advisor of Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky. Ukrainians, meanwhile, continue to flee. More than two million people have left so far, and nearly one and a half million have gone to Poland. Our correspondent James Schotter is in Poland and has been reporting on how Poles are receiving all these Ukrainian refugees. He joins me now. Hey, James. Hi. James, you're at Poland's eastern border where people are coming across. Uh, What does that look like? Well, I think... The border itself is pretty unforgettable. From the Polish side, you can't really see the full extent of the queue on the Ukrainian side, but it's enormous. I mean, it's kilometers long. You have large numbers of Ukrainians gathering on the Polish side waiting to pick up their relatives. And then a huge sort of aid effort. It was all a bit chaotic, but, you know, a lot of people there turned up to deliver food, blankets, clothes. And so that stuck in my mind. I think also, I mean, I was at the central train station in Warsaw yesterday, and that is also pretty overrun. You know, there's a lot of people there trying to help, but there's also just a huge number of uh, refugees arriving. So there's people sleeping on the floor. There's, you know, abandoned children's toys in the in the train station, you know, sort of teddy bears lying on the floor. Carpets that are like a jigsaw puzzle that children can play with are just piled up in corners. And then there's people sleeping all over the place. So I think those are the sort of images that have really stuck in my head from what I've from what I've seen so far. And this is Paul's making all these donations and, and trying to help refugees. What did they tell you when you spoke to them? I think it's, you know, just sort of a basic reflex. They just see what's happening in Ukraine. They're appalled and they want to help. And I think, you know, obviously the fact during the 2015-2016 refugee crisis, it was pretty resistant to taking in refugees from the Middle East. But there's a long sort of common history between Poland and Ukraine. What is now um, Western Ukraine was once Eastern Poland. So there's, these are communities that have you know, got hundreds of years of living alongside each other. So I think they have sort of close links and affinities with them. And I think, you know, they just wanted to help, basically. And I think they were appalled by the images that which, which I guess everyone is seeing, you know, of, the, of just the terrible destruction that's being wrought in Ukraine at the moment. Is there anyone you spoke to that kind of stands out in your head? There was one uh, student I spoke to who sort of stuck out in my mind because she sort of symbolized the sort of spontaneous nature of, of, of the Polish response. And she, you know, as soon as the war started, she wrote to various organizations saying she'd be prepared to you know, host a Ukrainian family at her house. And, you know, in preparation to, do, to doing that, she asked one of her friends if she could move in with her. Um, and her friend said yes. And then by the time uh, she was allocated a, a family uh, of refugees, her friend had also taken in a family of refugees. So she asked another friend if she could stay with her. And by the time that was all sorted, it turned out that she'd 
got a job at the border sort of fixing and translating for, for some journalists there. So she had to rush off to the border, which meant that the Ukrainian family that was going to move into her house, she never actually got to meet them. She just left the keys in the letterbox, left some instructions for them for how to move in. And 10 days later, she's still at the border. They're still at her flat. And I think... Yeah, that's quite a good example of the way Poles have opened their hearts and their and their homes to you know, people in need. But I guess the question is, you know, how long can Poles keep up the generosity? It's it's got to be a financial hit to Polish households. Yeah, I mean that's the I mean that's the really big question. It just and and no one knows the answer because no one knows how long the war is going to last. I mean it's 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 obviously going to be a huge cost if it looks like you know, the war the war does last for a long time. All the government I mean the government has announced an eight billion zloty funds to help deal with some of these costs, and it's said that it'll give every family that takes in refugees will get one thousand two hundred zloty a month up to a maximum of two months, and every refugee will get three hundred zloty. But those are, you know, in comparison with the overall cost of taking in a family of refugees, those are, those are quite small amounts of money. And clearly, I don't think anyone thinks this crisis is going to be over in, in, in two months. That's the FT's James Schotter in Warsaw. Thanks, James. Thanks very much. U.S. inflation soared yet again last month. The U.S. released its monthly consumer price index report yesterday. It showed an almost 8% year-on-year rise in February. So what will central banks do in response, and how are markets reacting to all this? To help answer those questions, I'm joined by the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. So first off, Katie, can you put into perspective the CPI report we're talking about? What are the goods that we're looking at, and how does this mesh with expectations? So it was a it was a really punchy number, but the market reaction was not actually particularly pronounced because the market pretty much knew it was coming. It's nonetheless super interesting because all of these numbers are gathered before the Ukraine invasion. So we since then, of course, we've seen oil go absolutely gaga. We've seen things like nickel prices go through the roof. All of the commodities that Russia and Ukraine exports, including wheat, so. 7.9%, good chance that's still not the high in, in US inflation, which is extraordinary. And, you know, we've got the Federal Reserve meeting coming up and they're going to have to raise interest rates into this, you know, war in Europe or no war in Europe. They don't really have the choice of just sitting back. So, yeah, I, I do actually want to talk to you about that because uh, last week, Jay Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, sat before US Congress and said, I back a quarter point rate rise. Does that hold true? Are we are we looking at more modest, little bite-sized rate rises rather than the whole shebang all at once? Yeah, we're probably looking at more kind of a series of quarter point raises rather than a kind of gangbusters um, half percentage point raise anytime soon. But they're just treading an incredibly difficult line because there's every risk that this huge rise in inflation could start to push down on, on the economy, basically. And then, you know, eventually they're going to find themselves raising interest rates into a slowing economy, which is not a nice place to be for the Fed or any other central bank. So it's incredibly difficult, but no sensible central bank can look at, you know, nearly 8% inflation and say, well, there's uncertainty, so we better, you know, be cautious. They're just going to have to be brave. So in terms of central banks, the European Central Bank met yesterday. What exactly did they say and how does that mesh with um, what's been going on with the circumstances surrounding Ukraine and, and Russia? 
So the, the European Central Bank cut its growth forecast, but it raised its inflation forecast. They obviously are keenly aware of what's going on in Ukraine. Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank, described as the war as a watershed moment for, for Europe, but also said that the central bank will do whatever is needed to pursue price stability. The central bank will be scaling back its bond buying program. Net purchases look on track to stop in the in the third quarter of this year. And we might still get that rarest of things, a European rate rise. And it's interesting because when the war first broke out, one of the market's first and most kind of violent reactions was to say, yeah, there's no way central banks are going to hike into this. And actually, that's proven to be the wrong take because central banks are saying, no, we're going to stick to the course. We're not going to allow ourselves to get blown off course by Vladimir Putin. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Thank you as always, Katie. Pleasure. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT news briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor and this week's fill-in host is Jess Smith. We had help this week from George Drake Jr., David De Silva, and Peter Barber. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Bromley is the FT's global head of audio. And our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.